All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? Man, I'm so glad you guys are here today as we are continuing our series, Jesus People. Um, as our uh, team is taking up the, uh, the offering for today, I want to welcome you. Welcome everybody who's watching online or live or at a later time. And hey, if you're a first-time guest with us today, we've got a special gift we'd love to give you. So I want to encourage you to stop by on the way out in the, the Welcome Center. We'd love to be able to do that with you today. Hey, I want to uh, share with you just a couple of things this morning um, about um, really kind of where we are as, as the church in terms of this series. Uh, we're jumping into the second week of a series called um, uh, Jesus People, uh, walking through the New Testament book of Acts, looking at really the story of the birth and the growth of the very first Jesus people, uh, the very first followers of Jesus. And here's the big idea for the series, and I want you to understand this because this is so important, is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And why is that so important? Well, because I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I look at what I've seen happen in scripture. I look at what I think God has for me. And I think, man, I don't know that I'm ready for that. I don't know that I'm qualified for that. So if you've ever felt underqualified or you've ever felt, you know, not qualified to be used by God, here's the cool thing. God uses ordinary, unqualified people to do extraordinary things. And the story of the early church is a story of a group of people, a small group of people who didn't have it all together in every way, but God used them to change the world. And so that's such a huge, important thing that we're going to look at over the course of this series. And we're going to walk through this New Testament book, the first seven chapters of this book of Acts. So today, though, as we begin, I want to ask you a question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Like, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when maybe you've had some plans and those plans changed? You had an expectation and that expectation changed. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, these first followers of Jesus found themselves in that situation. Jesus, as we talked about last week, sent them out. And in sending them out, he sent them out to, to go and to, to be his witnesses, to go and to do incredible, incredible things. But he told them that I want you to wait. He said, I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, they had no idea when that was going to happen. They had no idea how that was going to happen. All they knew is, is that God gave them these great things to do, but they had to wait. So what do you do when you don't know what's coming next? What do you do when you're not sure what to do? What do you do when you feel like God has something for you, but it's not quite panning out the way you thought it would? What do you do when maybe you're asking questions of God or you're praying to God about certain things, but it, it just seems like he's not answering you on your time frame. Well, what I want to look at today is what these Jesus people did and how they went about doing it. And I believe it's going to speak directly to who you are and who I am today. So let's look at this. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And here's what it says. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So here's who you have in this, this setting. You have the 11 of the 12 disciples, the 11 remaining of the 12 that Jesus said, come and follow me. Now, there's a guy named Judas in here that's still around, but that's not the one that's left. 
There's 12. This is a guy named Judas. There's another guy named Judas who we're going to talk about in a minute who's no longer with these 12. So they go back to this upper room. Jesus had just told them, as he told, as we talked about last week, he says, I have for you an incredible reality. I have a promise that I'm going to return one day. But until I return, I'm going to send you with power, and I'm going to give you a purpose to go and to be my witnesses across the entire world. And so they said, okay, we're supposed to wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Well, what do we do in the meantime? Well, what they did when they weren't sure what to do next was they prayed. They prayed. And that's the thing we see about Jesus' people, these first followers of Jesus, that Jesus' people pray. When they weren't sure what to do, they prayed. When they didn't know when things were going to happen, they prayed. They found themselves meeting together constantly in prayer because Jesus' people are prayerful. Jesus' people, followers of Jesus, are prayerful. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They prayed. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Well, these Jesus people prayed. They spent time seeking God. They spent time talking to God. They spent time going back in the scriptures and seeing what was going on. And then look at what happened in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, the group numbering about 120. So how many followers of Jesus were really in this, this, this group? There's about how many people are in this room today? About 120 people. Not a huge group of people to go and change the world, but that was who was there. And so this group gathered together, and then Peter says this. Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So what's Peter talking about? Here's what he's saying. There was this guy, Judas, not the one who's still there, but Judas of Iscariot, right? And he was a guy who was one of Jesus' closest 12 followers. He was one of the disciples. And so Peter says, listen, that what happened with Judas is something that God knew was going to happen. It didn't take God by surprise. What happened with Judas? Well, Judas betrayed Jesus. He led those who were arresting Jesus, who wanted to crucify Jesus, to Jesus for money. He sold out the Savior of the world for money. And, and the people were wrestling with how could Judas, one who knew Jesus so well, sell him out for money? He says, listen, Peter says, we've been praying, I've been, I've been thinking about this, I've been going back to David in, in the Psalms, who David was a writer of many of the Psalms found in the Old Testament. And he said that, listen, God knew what was going to happen. God wasn't taken off guard by this betrayal. And then Luke interjects to kind of let his readers know, well, what happened to Judas? After he took the money, after he betrayed Jesus, what happened to him? Look at verse 18 says, with this payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong with his body burst open and all his intestines spill out. So you guys are kind of like, the Bible's boring. Really? I mean, it talks about a dude like hung himself, fell over, his body just burst out, right, on this field. Now Luke finds it like this is important to understand because I guess he's wanting to say, listen, don't cross Jesus because you don't know what's going to happen, right? But he's like, here's what happened to Judas. He sold out for money, but then he gave his very life was taken in this dramatic, horrible way. And it says this, that everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, a keldama, that is field of blood. So Peter says, okay, so Luke kind of jumps in to say, here's what happened to Judas. He betrayed Jesus and he died. And so everybody knows he's a betrayer. So Peter's saying, okay, 
But as I've been praying, as I've been waiting and trying to figure out what's going on, God's kind of led me to this idea, this decision. He's telling me, here's what we need to do with this place of Judas. Do we, you know, we kind of like, you know, do we replace Judas? Do we just have 11 disciples and not 12 disciples? Peter comes back and says, listen, I'm here to talk to you about what happened and what we need to do next. And here's what he says. For, for, said Peter, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. Meaning he's, he's, he's no longer a part of being considered one of these 12. So when Judas made his decision, it had ramifications for his life. But it says, the Psalms also say, may another take his place of leadership. So Peter comes and says, listen, we've all been wondering, what do we do about Judas? What do we do about now that there's 11 disciples and not 12? Peter says, well, if you go back and you look at the scriptures, as we've been praying together constantly, God has led me to this, that we need to replace Judas, that we need to find somebody to take his place and restore the 12 disciples back to 12 disciples. Here's what he says in verse 21. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So he said, okay, we need to replace Judas. It's necessary. This is what God would have us do. We need to find somebody, elect somebody, choose somebody who's been with us from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry to come and take his place as one of the apostles. Well, why was it so important that this be done? Well, we see that in Psalms, it talks about this. So Peter said, this was God's desire. This is what God wanted to have happen. But in addition, he goes back to, and we look at what Jesus talked about in in Matthew 19, 28. Because Jesus said that the role of these 12 disciples, these 12 men, wasn't just a temporary thing. It had eternal significance. And he says, and Jesus was teaching, he said to them this, Matthew 19. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, meaning when Jesus comes back, when he brings heaven to earth, when when everything is made right again, when eternity comes, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, talking to the 12 disciples, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now listen, I understand this. Some of you guys, you're new today. Some of you are like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't, I don't know much about the Bible. I'm thoroughly confused, Zach, what you're talking about. Like 12 tribes, 12 people, like somebody falling and bursting open. Like, you know, like, I don't understand, right? Help me out. Okay. Back in the Old Testament, in the story of God, before Jesus ever came, God chose a man. And he chose this man named Abraham. Abraham was just like you and me. He was, he was a man that was born on this earth. And God said, from Abraham... He was going to bring forth, he was going to bring a nation. And this nation would be God's people. And God would bless them and use them to be a blessing to the world. And this nation was the nation of Israel. And God said that when they formed Israel, that there would be 12 tribes. So Israel was made up of 12 tribes. And so Jesus says that's important because the disciples will rule over these 12 tribes into eternity. So because we only have 11 now, we need to restore it back to 12. Because that number 12 of why Jesus had 12 disciples goes all the way back in the story of God, thousands of years to Abraham. And so the long story short is this, is that Peter says, we have to decide who's going to take Judas's place. So here's what they did. So, so they nominated two men. 
Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. I love how Peter prays that, right? They're like, there's, there's like, there's no like love loss for Judas, right? He's like, listen, he got what he deserved. Okay. He's, he's gone, but we got to move forward. And he says, then they cast lots. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 disciples. So these Jesus people, when they weren't sure what to do, they prayed. But not only do Jesus people pray, they also, we see here, and this is so, this is so important. They not are just prayerful, they're, they're prayerful in their decisions. They're prayerful in their decisions. Peter said, we have a choice to make. We have a decision to make. Is that we need to do what's right. We need to restore the, the, the apostles to 12 people. And as they went about doing that, we see very clearly that they went about it in a prayerful way. That when they decided to make a decision, an important decision, a decision that was going to have impact on their lives and the lives of other people. They didn't just decide to make a decision on their own. They didn't decide to just, you know, do whatever. They prayerfully made decisions. And if we're going to be people that God uses in our life, if we want to continue to be part of this, this group of Jesus people, those who are followers of Jesus, these ordinary people that God uses in extraordinary ways, if we want to live our life that way, then we need to understand that Jesus people are prayerful in decisions. Because here's the thing you need to understand is that we all have decisions to make. I don't care if you're old. I don't care if you're young. I don't care, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time. You've not been a Christian very long at all. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus today. But you're here trying to figure out, is this the thing for me? Is this what God would have for me? Is this the truth? We all have decisions to make. Life is full of decisions. Now, there are some decisions that don't have a great importance tied to them. In fact, most of the decisions that we make throughout the day, they're subconscious decisions. We just make them. We just do them. But there are certain times then where decisions come that we know carry with them a little bit more weight. And I believe this, that there are people here today, you walked in, and the thing on your mind was a decision that you need to make. A decision that you're thinking about. A choice that you're trying to decide on. It could be, you know, do I take this job? Do I take that job? It could be, do I stay at my job? Do I go try to find a different job? You might be trying to decide right now, do I stay in my marriage or do I leave my marriage? Do I work on this or do I work on that? You might be trying to decide, how do I, manage, how do I parent my kid? Like, how do I get my, 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 my teenager to, to make the right decisions? You might be struggling with right now, you know, hey, here's, here's this reality of, uh, of this. I'm sick and, and the doctor says I can either do this for treatment or that for treatment. How do I know what decision to make? See, there are times that it comes in everybody's life where we have decisions that we have to make. Important decisions, life-changing decisions. So how do we make the right decisions? How do we know we're making the right decisions? How did Peter and, and the followers of Jesus know that the right decision was for Matthias to join the apostles? How do we know how to make the right decision? Because here's the reality. And if you've had any time on this earth and you're honest at all with yourself, you've made decisions that you thought were right that ended up not being right. Like there are times in my life where I look back at decisions I made and I go, what was I thinking? Right? 
And back in that moment, it made complete sense. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, that there's a way that appears right, appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. It means this, that sometimes what we think is right isn't right. And that verse scares me to death. You want to know why? Because I think I'm right sometimes and I might not be. So how do we make right decisions? How do we know the right way to go about making big decisions for our life? Well, what I want to talk to you about over the next time we have left in this, in this, this time together today is this. Is I want to talk to you about how these Jesus people prayerfully made a decision. And how I believe that they showed us an example that we can follow that can help us make right decisions. And listen, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're bought into this whole God thing or not, I believe this is important because you have to make decisions. And I believe that the truth of God is the truth for life. And so follow along with me and see if this doesn't apply to you as well. But let's look. How did they go about making their decisions? Well, let's kind of look at what they did. Write this down. Number one is this. The first thing that we see that they did was they set the standard. They set the standard. They had to make the decision. Do we choose... You know, who do we choose to replace Judas? Well, they determined that, okay, well, we have to determine the qualifications. We've got to set the standard. Here's what, Peter, or here's what Luke says. It says, therefore, Peter's actually talking, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus lived among us. So they said, okay, here's the standard. We need to make sure the person we choose, the person that we choose to be one of the apostles is somebody that was following Jesus from the very beginning. They witnessed his entire ministry. They, they, were, they were there for, and they witnessed, and they witnessed the, the crucifixion, or they, they were there for that, that they saw the risen Jesus, that they, they have faith in, in, in him because they saw that Jesus is alive. And they set the standard. They said, here's, here, here are the parameters. They said, here's what's negotiable, and here's what's non-negotiable. And they set the standard for their decision. Listen, if we want to make right decisions in our life, I think the first thing that we have to learn to do is we have to learn to set the standards. We need to understand what we value as right and wrong. We need to understand where we go to find truth. We need to determine in our life, in situations, what is, a, is, is an option for us and what's not an option for us. And then we need to narrow down and say, this is the standard we're going to choose to live by. So maybe you're trying to decide about the job. Should I take a new job? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Well, you got to sit there and determine, okay, what are the things that are the standards? What are the qualifications? What are the requirements for you? What are you not going to do? Maybe you're like, I'm not going to work, you know, five nights a week because of my family. Or I'm not going to commute two hours. Or I'm not going to, you know, spend my time doing things I don't, I don't feel are beneficial. Like, you got to set that standard. Maybe you're trying to determine, okay, you know, should I marry this person? Should I not marry that person? Should I continue the relationship, not continue the relationship? Well, you've got to set your standards. What is it that, that you're saying is so valuable and important that has to be a part of the person you're in a relationship with? But then what are those things that, you know what, these are, these are no-goes. You've got to set those standards. Because if you don't have standards in your life or you don't have a place to go to as a foundation for what's right and wrong, you run the risk of making bad decisions. And see, as followers of Jesus, I believe this, that we have a standard that we can always 
turn to? It's the Bible. It's God's word. That the Bible tells us and gives us parameters for our life. And and then from that, we have to determine, are we going to buy into those things or not? Peter said, listen, they have to have been with Jesus in the ministry the entire time. He set the standard. If we want to make wise decisions and right decisions, we've got to know what our standards are. We have to determine what our values are. We have to know what we'll say no to, what we'll say yes to. But the second thing is this, is not only did they set the standard, the next thing we see is this, is that they did their homework. They did their homework. Look at Acts chapter chapter 1, verse 23. It says, They nominated two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. So it says that they nominated two men. Here's what that means. They didn't nominate other people. So they did their homework. They set the standard and then they found people that met that standard. They made an informed decision. They didn't just flippantly say, okay, well, let's be fair. Anybody can be a part of this. They said, no, here's the standard. So who meets these qualifications? They did their homework. See, God wants to involve us at times in decision-making. Because if God simply told us what to do every single day, number one, we probably wouldn't do most of it because that's who we are, right? But the second is this, is that we would never learn and grow in wisdom. You know, one of the problems with what is called helicopter parenting, right, is that you hover over your kids so much that you control their life to the point that they never learn how to control their life on their own. And one day, you're not going to be there to help them make that decision or to tell them what that decision is. So part of that is what God wants to do for us. He wants to involve us and teach us how to make decisions based upon his guidance. But they did their homework. They determined who to to nominate, who qualified. Right? Third thing we see is this, is that they stopped and they prayed for God's wisdom and guidance. And I don't think we can minimize this. It's like, well, of course they prayed. No, no, they, they, they took time to pray. They said, okay, here's, here's the parameters. They set the standard. They said, okay, here, here are the, the, the men who qualify. They did their homework. And then they said, okay, we got to stop though at this point and say, God, we need your help. Look what they prayed in verse 24. It says, then they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. So they admitted to God and admitted to each other that that we don't know everything. That God knows something that I might not know. And that's huge in making decisions. Part of what prayer does when we go to God and ask for his wisdom and guidance is it's our acknowledging that we don't know everything. That there are some decisions that we can't make on our own. That we need God's help. We need somebody to be be a part of that for us and to give us that wisdom and guidance. And so they stopped and said, God, you know what we don't know. You know people's hearts. God, would you show us which of these two you have chosen? And then the fourth thing is this, is that they trusted God for the answer. They trusted God for the answer. Now, this is where the Bible gets a little confusing. Because it says this. It says in verse 26, Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, you look at that and you go, okay, if you didn't grow up in church, 
What's, what does it mean to cast lots? Because when I hear the word cast, it sounds like they rolled dice, which is exactly what they did, right? So what would happen is in casting lots is, is it was this ancient practice that we see going all the way back through the story of God in the Old Testament. And it wasn't just for Christians. It was other people did this as well. But what they, what they did was they, in this situation, they took stones and they wrote the name of each person on the stone. So they put Barsabbas on one, they put Matthias on the other, and they put them in some sort of container. And then they prayed that God would reveal and show them the right answer. So here's the thing. They didn't do it flippantly. Like they weren't like, okay, let's flip a coin, let's get this over with, it's time to eat. You know what I mean? Like they, like, like they, they really sought God in doing this. And then the first one whose name came out first after they shook it up and rolled it out, or whatever that, that stone represented, that was what they believed to be the answer. And what's interesting is, is that it says that the lot fell, or the, the, the stone that rolled out was the one who had Matthias' name on it. And he became one of the twelve. Nobody asked for a re-roll. Nobody asked for a recount. Like, because I guarantee you this, because they're people, right? There were probably some in that room that thought the other guy was better than Matthias. They really wanted Barsabbas to be the guy. I mean, he had, I mean, his name was Justice. I mean, how cool is that? We want Justice to be a part of our group, right? Right? And there were probably some that, they, I mean, they had favorites. But when God brought them to the decision, they trusted that decision. And you know what? That was the decision that was made. Now, you might be like, okay, so why did you just say that at the very beginning? Because what you're saying is if I have to make a decision, I just got to draw some straws, right? Like that's how it works. That's so simple. It's not like that. Because here's what we see, is that we see that, that, that this didn't continue to be the practice of the people once the Holy Spirit came. Once the Holy Spirit, as we're going to talk about next week, came upon these Jesus people, the Spirit of God came to dwell with them. We don't see them casting lots for decisions anymore because the Holy Spirit now guides them. So do I think it's wise for you to go home and say, this job, that job, let's pull the Yahtzee game out and like try to make the decision? I don't think that's what God's calling you to do. But the point is this, is that when God brought them a decision, they trusted them. Even if it wasn't the decision that they may have wanted. But that brings up a question. Because if we... If God doesn't reveal his, his answers necessarily through casting lots anymore, if that's not what, Zach, you're saying I should do to make my decisions in life, then how does God answer my prayer? Like, how do I know that this decision is the right decision to make? How, how do I know when I have two choices that, that, that I'm actually making the God decision and it's not Mexican food from the night before that I'm kind of, you know, leading me to go wherever I'm going? How do I know I'm not speaking for God and I'm just trying to convince myself God's leading me here because that's where I want to go? Well, I think we got to understand this. We got to look at, okay, well, how does God answer our prayers? Because especially if you're here today and, and you're not, a, you're not a, f- a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're, you, you've been a Christian just for a little bit, I guarantee you, you've heard somebody say these words, well, well, God told me, and so I did this. Or you know what, you know, I, I just prayed about it and God, and God led me this way. And I'm here to tell you this, that in my 40 years on this earth, my 33 years of being a follower of Jesus, 
I have never heard God speak audibly to me. Like I've said, God told me, but I've never heard his voice. Like God's never sent me an email. He's never sent me a text, right? I never had writing on the wall. Back in the 90s, I didn't get a fax. You know, like, you know, I mean, like that, that's not how God has operated for me. But, but, but there are times in my life where I've been praying about something and I felt like God answered my prayer. So how do we know? Because it's confusing when people say that. You know, but it's not, but it's not just like confusing when you read the Bible. It's confusing just in life. So, you know, this is football season, right? And, and listen, we are a church for all people. So it doesn't matter if you're a Cowboy fan, Redskin fan, Patriot fan, Steelers fan, you know, whoever cheers for the Chiefs, like, you know, whatever, you know, like, you know, whatever, right? And, and so I'm a Cowboy fan. But, the other, but being in, in Washington, D.C., I find myself following the Redskins because that's all I get, right? Like today at 445, I have to watch the Redskins game or watch reruns of something else because they play at the same time as the Cowboys do. That's the way it works, right? I don't have direct TV. Anyway. And so I was listening to an interview, and if, and if you know kind of much about football, the, the Redskins have a quarterback named Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins is, is a believer. He's a Christian. Very outspoken about his faith. Well, the controversy kind of with the Redskins and, and this quarterback is, is that they, they, they haven't for the past several years been able to work out a long-term contract that they basically signed these one-year contracts. And so from year to year, they're not really sure who's going to be their quarterback. And so a lot of fans have different opinions of whether they should sign the long-term deal, they should not sign the long-term deal. Is it the Redskins' fault? Is it Kirk's fault? Like, what's going on with this? But then I read this article, and I thought it was interesting. Because Kirk Cousins was being interviewed at Liberty University. And he makes a comment that goes directly to what we're talking about. Listen to this. When he was asked about this idea of him not signing a multi-year contract and kind of what he feels like, you know, how does he make that decision? What happens? Here's what he says. He says, one of the reasons God made me an NFL quarterback was to keep me close to him, said Cousins, who signed a one-year $24 million contract in the offseason as the team's franchise player. You guys are like, I'll sign that contract. I'll be close to God too, you know. But let's keep going. He says, I prayed about it. And I do believe that the Lord, at least in my life, likes to use one-term contracts and not long-term contracts. Okay, hold on a minute. So he's saying that God told him to sign a one-year contract. How does he know? Right? Now, some of you Redskins fans are kind of like, oh, great. He's never going to sign a long-term deal because God told him not to. You know, like, here's the point. Like, you read that, and then even as, as a pastor, I look at that and I go, like, are you sure? I mean, $24 million, that's great. But they were offering like, you know, 40-something. And like, you could get hurt and that kind of stuff. But he's like, listen, this is how God's leading me. So how do you know that God's leading you the way he's leading you? Well, we got to know how God answers prayer. Because here's the thing. I think sometimes God answers our prayers, but we're just not knowing where to look. Because we think God's going to answer our prayer in a certain way. But we're not really sure how he uses and what he uses to answer our prayers. So there's really four ways that God answers our prayers. Four things that God uses. So write this down. The first one is this. The first way that God answers our prayers. 
The first way that God gives us direction in life, and this is the one that, that he uses more than anything else, is the Bible. God uses the Bible to answer our prayers. Because the Bible contains the very words and the teachings of God. And so often the things that we're trying to make a decision on, the answers are actually found in the Bible. You know, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I, you know, go here, not go there? There, There's a lot of things that the Bible says very clearly are the things that we should do and not do. That God has what's called his, his general will, his general desire and commands for all of his followers of Jesus. And so much of life is actually found in God's word. And so when we start making a decision, we, we've got to go to the Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, we've got to say, listen, you know, what is God saying? And there's three questions I think we need to ask, three practical questions. Right? The first one is this, is, is it right? Is what I'm wanting to do, is what I'm trying to decide to do, does the Bible say it's right? When I look at Scripture, does Scripture say, yes, that's a good thing to do? Second question, though, is this. Is, is it wrong? Does, is, does the Bible say that that is a wrong thing? Because here's the thing. God will never tell you to do something that he's already said is wrong. Like, God does not contradict himself. If the Bible says this is wrong, it's not good, it's not wise, then that applies to your life as well. I was talking to a a friend of mine who's who's a pastor. We were having lunch and we were just, he was frustrated about some things and we were just talking and, you know, and and he was talking about this. This guy came in the other day and, you know, wanted to meet with a pastor and started the conversation this way. He said, Pastor, I just want to come talk to you because I really feel like God told me to leave my wife and, 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 and marry this other person. And the pastor said, Zach, he goes, I was in there and I didn't say it this way, but I wanted to just say, okay, listen, just shut up for a minute. Stop. Stop. Let's just get God out of that because God did not say that. You're like, well, how does, how does he know God didn't say that? Because the Bible says adultery is wrong. The Bible says you shouldn't do that. See, God's not going to contradict himself. So the first place we need to go in answering a question is, okay, does the Bible say it's right or wrong? But then there's some things, this is where it gets a little more tricky, where the Bible's not black and white on it. The Bible doesn't specifically talk about it. The Bible doesn't specifically give a, this is right, this is wrong. And so we've got to ask the third question. And the third question is this, is, is it wise? Is it wise? Well, what does that mean? It means this. Based upon who you've been, based upon your past, based upon who you are right now, and based upon who you want to be and what you want to do in life, is this a wise thing to do? Is this a good thing to do? And so you've got to be, you got to look at that. And you got to say, okay, here's my past. Here's where I've struggled. Here's where I've made mistakes. Here's where I'm kind of feeling right now that I'm, I'm good and I'm strong. But other things where I know, I'm, you know, maybe I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not very strong in this or strong in that. Here's where I want to go one day. This is what I want to accomplish one day. Based upon that, does this decision help me get to where I want to go? Is it a wise thing to do? And that's where we got to trust God sometimes. And we've got to be very open with ourselves to say, if my pattern in life has been to jump quickly into bad relationships after a relationship has ended, I probably don't need to quickly jump into that next relationship. It's not a wise thing to do. You're not going to find a verse that says, you know, don't jump into that next relationship after three weeks. Right? Now, there's principles there, and that's where wisdom comes in. 
You know, if you're like, okay, I know that, you know, for me, I have a tendency to, to quit things in my life. And so now I'm, I'm in this, this class in college and, you know, I, I know it's a requirement for, for my degree where I want to be, but it's just hard right now. God, should I quit? Well, let's think about it. Is that wise? If you have a tendency to quit things that are hard, even when you shouldn't, if it's hard right now, but you know you, you have to have this class to get to where you want to go, it's probably not a wise thing to do. So we got to ask the question, does the Bible say it's right? Does the Bible say it's wrong? And does the Bible say this is a wise way of living life? God answers questions in that way. Second way is this, is that God also answers questions through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit next week, but, but the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit in us. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is a counselor. He's a guide. And there are times in my life, and I know this is where it gets kind of mystical for people, and it's hard to you know, quantify if you're like you know, kind of a scientific type minded person. But there are times in my life where I honestly believe, even though I've never heard God's voice audibly, that, that, that in my spirit, God led me to make a certain decision. Or God kept me from making a decision. That there were things in my life that, that I wanted to say yes to. And as much as I wanted to convince myself to say yes and that was right, I didn't have a peace in my life. And so I shouldn't have made that decision. There are convictions that I've felt about doing certain things that go beyond just, hey, I think this is the right thing to do. God uses the Holy Spirit to do that. And the more we spend time with God, the more we, we, we spend time in worship, the more we spend time in prayer, the closer we walk with God in our, in our life, the, the more we're able to, to hear and discern the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so God uses the Holy Spirit. He, he doesn't give us peace. He gives us convictions about certain things. But he also will use other believers. Big decisions in your life don't need to be made in isolation because you're not your best counselor. Like there, God will use other people in your life to help you make decisions. That's why we need close people. And we're not just anybody. We need people who have wisdom that we don't have, who believe in, in the things that we say are most important. We need to have that counsel because we need people to say to us what God wants us to hear and understand. But we've got to be open to listening to him. And so God uses the Bible. He uses the Holy Spirit. He uses other believers. But then also God uses life circumstances. Sometimes God will change a circumstance to reveal to you the answer to your question in your prayer. You're praying for this job. God, I really need want this job. God, I need this job. And you don't get hired. That was God's answer. God, I really feel like I should, you know, um, you know, ask this person to marry me. And then they dump you, right? Okay, well, that was probably the answer. Sometimes God will close doors in our life to direct us which doors to go through. The problem, though, is that we have to understand that when God uses life circumstances to redirect us, we have to see that that's God actually answering us. Because sometimes we're so disappointed about what we didn't get, we don't recognize that's God. But when God closes that door, when God changes that circumstance, when God directs us in a different way, that's the way he answers our prayers. 
See, Jesus' people, followers of Jesus, those that God uses to to be part of this movement, this mission, those he uses to experience life in its fullness, right, are prayerful in the decisions they make. They, They partner with God in this. They have a prayerful plan. And so here's the question I want to leave you with today. Because here's what I believe is that every person in here, the majority of you, you came in and you have a decision to make. Maybe it's a big one, maybe it's a small one. Maybe it's life-changing, maybe it's tomorrow-changing. But you are not sure what to do. Write this down. This decision needs a prayerful plan. And identify what that decision is. Confess, hey, this decision that I have, it's bigger than me. I can't make it on my own. I mean, I could, but I shouldn't. This decision needs a prayerful plan. And there's a line on your note sheet, and that line's there to say, okay, what is that decision? To choose this job, to apply for another job, to stay in this relationship, to move out of a relationship, to hang out with these people on Friday night, to not hang out with these people on Friday night, to invest here, to invest there. God is a God who wants to and will guide us and give us wisdom when we ask. What in your life needs that prayerful plan? What do you need to set the standards for? What do you need in your own life to, um, to do your homework about? What do you need to, to, to pray to God for his wisdom and guidance? And what do you need to, to trust God about today? I believe this, that if we'll do that, God will respond to us. He'll direct us. He'll answer our prayers. And he may not answer them when we want or the way we want. But if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I believe this. God will answer your prayers. And when you're not sure what to do, he'll help you know what to do. Let's pray together. Father God, we come today and and I thank you because you are a God who, who knows us so well. God, you know what it is in our life that we're struggling with. You know every decision that needs to be made, every, God, worry that's in our heart. And God, I pray today, knowing that it's no coincidence that the decisions that we brought in today needed to hear about a prayerful plan. And so, God, as we identify those things, God, my prayer is this, that we would turn to you to help us make the right decisions. That when these early Jesus people, when Peter and the, his follower and the followers of you, Jesus came together and they said, listen, we've we got a decision to make. We've got to find somebody to replace Judas as a disciple. God, that they gave us an example of how we can make decisions. And so, God, as we sing to you, as we respond to you today, I pray that you would make it very, very clear. Very, very clear the decisions that we need to make, the things that we need to trust you with. And God, that you would guide every single person here because your way is the best way. Your answer is the best answer. Help us to seek it. Help us to hear it. Help us to understand it. And God, to follow it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.